After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. I'm 
JM in the AM. Mordechai Shapiro with Lecha here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Uh, before that, Eitan Freilich's Eitz Chaim. You heard Rachem from RJ2. Safam, we're getting ready for Sunday night. Livingston, New Jersey, the Atid Society at the Kushner Schools. Uh, that's Yiram, the name of that one. Um, Acharon was done by Lipa. Achim Benefesh was Avram Freed and uh, Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's a Friday on this December 1st. Yes, it is one year since we declared our independence. It is one year since we became an all-digital uh, network. And um, frankly, first of all, thank you to all those who've recognized it and have wished us a mazel tov. And uh, we never dreamed it would be as successful in year one that it has been. And I thank all of you listeners everywhere around the world for making it exactly that. An amazing success. Baruch Hashem. 13th day in the month of Kislev. The year 5778. Tavshin Ches. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayishlach with candlelighting in New York at 409. 409 is candlelighting in New York. I think Monday night we save a Saint Talomata, right? I believe it begins Monday night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at Filat Arvit. Am I right about that, that it's Monday night? I think so. Um, if, if, if I'm incorrect, someone please correct me. I want to make sure to get that right. Uh, 46 degrees outside with 81% humidity winds in northwest at 5 miles an hour. Sunny today with a high temperature of 55. Then tonight, mostly clear, low 38, partly cloudy for Shabbos, a high temperature of 50. Yerushalayim is at 63. We're at 46 here in New York as we say good morning. At JM in the AM. Well, we're going to spend some time in the 7 o'clock hour with pediatric cardiologist Dr. Sagi Asa and volunteer Judy Shore from an organization called SaveAChildsHeart.com. It's located in Cologne, and we'll explain how we got uh, to this interview. It'll be coming up about a half hour from now. Uh, of course, the weekly update with Malcolm Honeline at 740, and plenty happening on a Friday, as you would suspect here at JM in the AM. And of course, we have an amazing weekend, including our broadcast from Achi Ezer's uh, conference on the Sunday. Um, oh, there we go. Uh, including Achi Ezer on Sunday. And, um, uh, and the Chevron Fund is our focus on Monday when they have their big charity campaign. C-H-A-R-I-D-Y. Chevron is going to have a big charity campaign on Monday, and we'll spend the 8 o'clock hour uh, checking in with our friends from the Holy City of Chevron and reminding everybody how to give on that very special day. So that's this coming Monday. Holy City of Chevron has a special uh, fundraising day, and again, we will um, uh, have that full hour for you, 8 o'clock on Monday, with all the information, all of the special guests. Plenty more coming up. It is an hour of Shabbos Friday morning. You're listening to JM in the AM. Hot the Hadara Lefanab, Uzvechedva Bim Komo, Hot the Hadara Lefanab, Uzvechedva Bim Komo, Havula Shem, Mishpechot Amin, Havula Shem, Kavor Baos, Hot the Hadar le 
we sink on the seventh day of the seventh day of every week. Each up is our day of rest for the one above. We look our best, sing a song of praise. Shabbos we shall keep. Ms. Marshir Leoma Shabbos. Ms. Marshir Leoma Shabbos. Ms. Marshir Leoma Shabbos. Ms. Marshir. Shalom, 
Gitano bisimcho, igagalu mitzvah gedayla meri shoyno. Ho oise mitzvah achas gitano bisimcho, igagalu loy nesuis mitzvah gedayla meri shoyno. Ho oise mitzvah achas gitano bisimcho, igagalu mitzvah gedayla meri shoyno.
JM in the AM. Lachad Odi from Derech Achim. Mordechai Shapiro's Schar Mitzvah. You heard Bowie Kala from Amra Madar. Aye Kunzler at Mizmor Shir. Ivri Anochi from Benny Friedman. Lenny Solomon with Hod Vahadar. An amazing mix of great music. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com. On the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Yeah, December 1st. Many of you have realized and have pointed out it's exactly one year since we became a full 24-hour-a-day digital network here at the Nahum Siegel Network, with JMN being our flagship program, of course. Thank you for all the uh, congratulatory wishes. I believe we do deserve some congratulatory wishes on this occasion, to say the least. Scott Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for Friday is next. Boker Tov from JMN. ולצל השעה שתיים, כנראה נבנאי עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ראש הממשלה נתניהו מתחייב נלכוד את המחבלים שרצחו את סמל רון יצחק קוקיה בערד ונמצא איתם את הדין. כתבנו מיכאל האוזר טוב. כוחות הביטחון פועלים כעת ללכידת המחבלים, אומר נתניהו. נמשיך להילחם בטרור בכל העוצמה, אני שולח תנחומים למשפחה. גם שר הביטחון ליברמן אמר מוקדם יותר כי בצבא לא ישקטו עד שיניחו את ידם על המחבלים. ונשיא המדינה ראובן ריבלין שיגר את תנחומיו למשפחה ואמר, אני כואב ומזועזע מול הרצח הנורא, אני שולח חיבוק של נחמה למשפחה השכולה ומחזק את כוחות הביטחון. והלווייתו של סמל רון יצחק קוקיה, בן 19, תיערך ביום ראשון בתל אביב. כתבתנו טל זרביב מעדכנת שמשפחתו הסכימה לתרום את איבריו וקרניות עיניו יושתלו בחולים. הקטל בדרכים. כמעט עשרים בני אדם נפגעו בתאונות מאז הלילה. כתבנו גל חן. נהגת רכב איבדה את הכרתה בעת נסיעה בדרך פרויד בחיפה והתנגשה בגדר הפרדה. מצבה מוגדר אנוש. בשעה האחרונה נהג כבן 32 נפצע בינוני, והולכת רגל בת 45 נפצעה קשה מפגיעת רכב. יותר מוקדם הבוקר, רוכבת אופנוע כבת 28 נפצעה קשה מפגיעת רכב בפתח תקווה. הלילה, בתאונה בראשון לציון, נהרגה אישה בת 31, וחמישה נוספים נפצעו באורח קל עד בינוניים. צלב קרס רוסס על קיר בית כנסת בעיר בצפון גרמניה. כתבנו יותם לחובסקי. ראש עיריית בריימר האפן גינה את מעשה ההשחתה בבית הכנסת ואמר מעשים אנטישמיים דוחים שכאלה יתקבלו באפס סובלנות, כך לדברי ראש העיר. בקהילה היהודי דרשו להגביר את האבטחה ולהתקין מצלמות בבית הכנסת עליו רוסס צלב הקרס. בית הדין הבינלאומי בהאג יחקור את התאבדות פושע המלחמה הקרואטי ששתה רעל בהקראת גזר דינו. כתבנו יותם לביא. בית הדין המיוחד לחקירת פשעי מלחמה ביוגוסלביה החל בחקירת מותו של הגנרל הקרואטי סלובודן פרליאק. החוקרים יבחנו כיצד הצליח פרליאק להבריח את בקבוקון הרעל לתוך אולם בית המשפט. אמש העריכו עדים בבית הדין כי פרליאק החביא את הרעל בחליפתו. הרשויות בהולנד פתחו בחקירה מקבילה. האם רוסיה תתנתק מרשת האינטרנט? במוסקבה הודיעו כי הם מתכננים להקים תשתית אינטרנט עצמאית בשנה הבאה ולעזוב את הרשת העולמית. כתבנו עירד עצמון שמאייר. מועצת הביטחון הרוסית ביקשה מממשלת רוסיה להקים מערכת אתרים עצמאית שתחל את פעילותה ב-1 באוגוסט 2018. כך על פי דיווח בסוכנות הידיעות RT. בעלות הגישה היחידות לרשת יהיו רוסיה ובנות בריתה, דוגמת ברזיל, הודו וסין. זאת מפאת חשש מפני מתקפות סייבר מצד ארצות הברית ובעלות בריתה. אלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת וישלח, בירושלים תיכנס השבת בארבע, בתל אביב בארבע וארבע עשרה דקות, בבאר שבע בארבע ושמונה עשרה דקות, 
ובחיפה בארבע ושלוש דקות. השבת תצא בירושלים בחמש ורבע, בתל אביב בחמש ושש עשרה דקות, בבאר שבע בחמש ושמונה עשרה דקות, ובחיפה בחמש וארבע עשרה דקות. שבת שלום. מזג האוויר, עלייה ניכרת ממידות החום, בתחילת השבוע עלייה נוספת בטמפרטורות, תנשב נרוחות מזרחיות ערות וייתכן אובריך. אלה החדשות שעורך אריאל זיגלר, בצוות אילנה בנימין ונועם ברלכיס.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning broadcast. Leif Tahar with Machado D. Before that, Ohad with Tfilat Ha'av. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Vayishlach. Well, some of you, I'm sure, uh, are aware of a uh, television program that takes place, um, or that airs, rather, on uh, ABC here in the U.S., and that is a, a show called The Good Doctor. And uh, it's already made its mark. Uh, for some of the issues that it addresses. And last week, for those of you who saw the episode and for those of you who didn't, uh, last week they featured as part of the episode an effort uh, made by the uh, hospital staff, by the doctors, to save a life, uh, to save the heart and the life of a uh, a young boy from a foreign country, from an African country. And uh, this was the storyline. After, uh, after the program aired, um, a courtesy of our, our very own Miriam Wallach, uh, we found out that um, David Shore, who created the show, tweeted, if you like tonight's story, please check out at S-A-C-H tweets. And it turns out that S-A-C-H is an organization called Save a Child's Heart. Uh, the website is saveachildsheart.com. And where is it based? As you might suspect, in Israel, in Cologne, Israel. And we have two very special guests with us live via telephone. Uh, first, we have uh, Dr. Asa Sagi, Head of Interventional Interventional Pediatric Cardiology and Senior Pediatric Cardiologist. Uh, he was born and raised in Israel. He, um, In 2014, upon his return to the Wolfson Medical Center, Dr. Asa joined the pediatric cardiology team as lead interventional cardiologist at the Wolfson Medical Center. At this time, he became a lot more involved in the Save a Child's Heart program. He is fully devoted to 
the Save a Child's Heart Project in March of 2015 participated in a mission to Zanzibar and the Tanzanian mainland evaluating 350 patients. And Dr. Asa Sagi is our first guest with us live via telephone. Dr. Sagi, shalom. Welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom. Nice to speak with you and to have you here. Also, Judy Shore is with us. Judy grew up in San Francisco. Her parents were from Europe and escaped in 1939 separately to Shanghai. Uh, she's mar- She used to be in the news business, worked for several years for CBS News West Coast Bureau as a field producer, doing news stories for Eye to Eye with Connie Chung and other programs, including the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. She's married to David Shore, the creator of House and the aforementioned creator of The Good Doctor. They have three kids. They live in L.A., and she's the West Coast co-chair of Save a Child's Heart. Judy, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be on. I appreciate that. Judy, is this typical? Is it typical that uh, when the writers are looking for a story or when the uh, uh, when the staff of a specific show is made aware of something unique in the industry that they address on their episodes, they would literally you know, lift a story from real life and try to incorporate a very cool project that you're involved with into the show? Um, I think it's unusual. I um, I didn't even know about it, actually. Uh, <laughs> I was traveling with Sagi. We were in Tanzania, and uh, I'm actually, I actually haven't even been home yet, and I wasn't able to watch the episode. I tried to keep up with all of my husband's shows, and <laughs> the next thing I knew... I heard from your show, and then I found out that my husband did all this, which I'm really grateful for. It's just a wonderful, you know, I couldn't be, he's a good guy, my husband. I'm really proud that he included Save a Child's Heart in his tweet, and that the episode had to do with a child from Africa who needed heart surgery. Yeah, that it, so, it, it was a gripping episode, I can tell you, and you will certainly enjoy it once you watch it. Um, how long is, and, and, and this question may be better for Dr. Sagi, how, how long has this effort been going on? How long have people from Wolfson been traveling the world to find pediatric cardiac candidates for surgery? Doctor? Uh, Save a Child Heart is a non-financial, uh, non-profitable organization started by Dr. Rami Cohen, an American surgeon who did Aliyah to Israel. Uh, 20 years ago, and actually since then, 20 years, uh, we are having life-saving operation and catheterization, and we treat thousands of children who suffer from uh, cardiac uh, defects and needs uh, life-saving treatment. Uh, and uh, me and Judy, we just came back from nine days of a special mission in Tanzania. Uh, where we went with a group, a big group of uh, medical and volunteer team uh, to save children there in their homeland, in their hospital. So um, unlike the episode then, are, are these surgeries taking place in their hometown or are these patients being flown to Israel for these surgeries? Most of the patients come to Israel. Wow. And the operation and catheterization take place in Cholon, in both the medical center in Israel. But uh, we believe since part of our goal is to train the locals so they can treat in the future the children themselves, so every period 
we come and work with them in their hospitals so that they can see it's possible to manage and to have this life-saving operation and catheterization in their homeland. And we can, we're doing it for a few years now, and I must say that our team in uh, Dar es Salaam in Tanzania shows an amazing progress year after year. They're already operating by themselves about 100, 200 operations a year. And uh, now the next goal is to enable them to do this uh, advanced catheterization for children by themselves. Uh, Dr. Asasagi is with us, one of our guests. Um, if you're there for nine days, doctor, how many patients are you evaluating in those nine days? So uh, we have been saving lives of uh, 16 children, wow. and we've been evaluating about 300 other children doing echoes and preparing them uh, for their coming to Israel. And I'm just so if you're if you're if you're seeing 300 candidates or potential candidates. Are all of them getting some type of treatment? Are that, that's I'm I'm trying to understand what it means evaluating and determining who's a candidate, um, you know, to to undergo these operations. So we like to say, like, uh, once you're a such child, you'll ever be a such child. So out of this 300, we always have children who we follow up. So once we did an operation or some procedure on a child. We will be follow up this child once a year for all his lifetime. So when we come back every half a year to Tanzania, we also evaluate new children, but as well doing follow up on the children we already operate. Hmm. So we see about uh, 50 to 100 new children, 50 to 70 new children. 16 we already operated there at sterilization in Dar es Salaam, and the others will gradually during the next half year. Next year, we'll come to Israel in groups, and we'll have this uh, operation needed done in Israel, in Cholon, also medical center. Uh, Judy, what's the reaction of the parents when you go to Tan- uh, Tanzania, when you're there? And I mean, do they understand the scope of this, of people coming from so far away to potentially save the life of their kid? Yes, I mean, uh, a Tanzania is a very large country with a huge population, and there are people who come for, I mean, for days they travel to get to the hospital so that they're seen by the doctors, and they're so grateful because often these um, children have never been seen by a physician before. And uh, what these countries do in many cases is send out a uh, message on national radio saying, if your child can't run, if your child isn't acting like other children, if your child has blue lips, there are these Israeli doctors coming at this day and time to this hospital, and um, people line up to see them. So, uh, you know, these uh, people want to save their children. And uh, on another subject, and I, you know, you, uh, you may maybe you're going to ask me this later. Um, when David and I became interested in Save a Child's Heart, it was uh, at least six years ago, when we were touring Israel with the cast from the show House. And one of the locations was Save a Child's Heart um, that they took us to. And David and I had heard about it, uh, but we, you know, you hear about it, but when you see it, it just blew our minds. I mean, it was phenomenal to see in the waiting room uh, Arab parents and Palestinian parents and Israeli parents and 
mothers from Africa all waiting in the same waiting room. And all they want, they don't care about politics. All they want is for their children to leave the hospital healthy. And, you know, they're there supporting each other, too. And it's just such an amazing picture. And uh, I'm so proud that you're doing this story today because it needs to get out. And, um they really are changing the world. When we see these kids, and I see these doctors as doves of peace because they're really making a difference. No, no question about that. The website is saveachildsheart.com, saveachildsheart.com. And what, got, what really got us into the story is when we found out, obviously, that it's based in Israel. It took amazing pride in the fact that all this effort was coming from Israel. What do your daughters think of the trip, by the way? Well, it was my daughter and my uh, son, my 19-year-old and my 15-year-old, and they were amazing. Um, they really grew up there, you know, seeing what they saw and seeing, you know, in some areas you see some pretty, uh, you see poverty. And um, my kids have been fortunate to grow up in a in a uh, healthy, but, uh, uh, you know, middle, upper class environment. But um, this was good for them to see how other people live and their struggles and also to see that a kid is a kid and they had a lot of fun with them. They were playing with them in the lobby and keeping them entertained as they were waiting in line to see the medical staff from Save a Child's Heart. <laughs> so um, I think it was really empowering for them. And I know that my daughter is concerned about one girl who will be flown to Israel for heart surgery, and she wants to keep track of what happens to her, so that's really nice. And my son also was, you know, and a boy is going to go to Israel for heart surgery that he also, you know, was playing around with. So it's really, I, uh, it was very moving for them. Dr. Sagi, not that this is as important as the health part of it, but uh, many of us are always concerned and curious about the political uh, aspect of all of this. Uh, and the image aspect, um, it, it, we know, for instance, when you know Israeli uh, rescue teams go around the world, uh, we've heard stories of them delivering babies in the rubble of uh, of earthquakes, and then the parents naming the uh, child Israel for <laughs> for obvious reasons because they were supported and helped uh, by an Israel rescue team. Uh, do the people in Tanzania uh, understand the um, uh, the the gesture? I don't want to say sacrifice because you may not like that word uh, in this context, but the gesture. Of the of people from Israel coming and doing this. Yeah, I believe that uh, saving a child's heart. Uh, we say we build bridges uh, between people. We build bridges between countries, between religious, and the political issue is a non-issue when you're treating a child. Uh, you get attached to the family, to the mother, to the father, whatever language he speaks, whatever religious he believes in, and uh, they're getting attached. I mean, we're getting attached to them as they are attached to us, and uh, it's an amazing uh, opportunity, really, to build this bridge and see how thankful these people are, because this is their last chance to get their child, and they appreciate it a lot. Well... Leave it to our brothers and sisters in Israel to do it. Uh, it's not only the brothers in Israel, I must say, such is not only a medical team. The medical team is coming from Israel, but right. we're working with all the world. We're having people uh, uh, giving money and volunteer and gives the time and help that this organization will be able to treat the children and the volunteer help is as important 
maybe even more important than uh, what we are doing. So it's a worldwide organization, I would say, and the Israeli part is the medical team, but uh, this is only one part, and I think GD is uh, part of the volunteer part, which is as important, and this is what's nice about such, that we don't only do medical things. We treat the children, they play with the children. I think the healing process of the child is not only the operation he went through, but all the support he gets after. And this is part of what we also are very happy to take care of. Judy, go ahead. You were saying. I just wanted to say what makes Save a Child's Heart stand out for a number of reasons is our doctors do this as volunteers uh, and also the medical staff. So they really don't ask for any money in return for this. Um, we provide, when a child comes to Israel for surgery, I raise money uh, so that the child has their flight, they have the food and the lodging, but they're able to stay with their parent at our children's home in Israel for three months. Um, and the doctors don't ask for any money in return. And it's a very, I mean, what it costs, if this happened in America, would be so much more for this. For the three months, it's $15,000, and that's it. That covers the entire three months of care and medical treatment in Israel, which is amazing. And the other point I want to make is that there are a lot of good organizations, nonprofits, helping out children all over the world. What makes Save a Child's Heart stand out is that we train doctors. So we train the first Tanzanian pediatric heart surgeon. There was never one there until a few years ago, and that's because he trained in Israel for five years, and he became the first. Um, so our, our mission is to make these countries um, sustainable so that they can do these things on their own. And right now we've um, we're almost completed the training of an Ethiopian doctor, and he will be the first pediatric heart surgeon in his country, and it's very important that it's a pediatric heart surgeon. It's not the same thing as adult surgery. It's, it's, I mean, the details that are involved with the child is, is much different. And so he's almost finished his training. Um, and then we also want to do a center of sustainability um, in Romania. So we're working on that as well. So not only is Save a Child's Heart about healing these children, but we want to make these countries able to stand on their own two feet and perform these surgeries on their own as well. Phenomenal. The uh, The website has a headline, Mending Hearts, Building Bridges. Saveachildsheart.com. You can donate right there on the homepage. Dr. Asa Sagi is head of interventional pediatric cardiology and senior pediatric cardiologist at Wolfson in Israel. Uh, Dr. Sagi Tadaraba, thank you so much for joining us. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. And Judy Shore, uh, Judy, you got to tell David he really he really done good in this case. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, he, uh, when I see him, I, I'll see him tomorrow evening. Um, I haven't seen him in a couple of weeks, so yeah, he really. I'm 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 just so proud and. Thank you. Thank you for everything, and Shabbat Shalom. A pleasure. And Judy is the West Coast co-chair of Save a Child's Heart, Judy Shore, and we thank her as well. And yes, Shabbat Shalom to both of you. The website, saveachildsheart.com. And again, as you heard, medical team based in Israel. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayishlach candlelighting time at 4.09 here in the New York area. 4.09 is official candlelighting time on this era of Shabbos. More coming up, including our weekly update with Malcolm Honeline, if you keep it here at JM in the AM.
מונח של סבון, ומרוב שטיפת כלים נוצר כאב בגב תחתון.
JM in the AM. Micha Gammerman with Maya Didus. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candle lighting 409 here in the New York area on this Erev Shabbos Parshas by Yishlach. A uh, reminder, we've got the uh, Achiezer Conference and um, Health uh, Exhibition is coming. Uh, what are they called? The Achiezer Jewish Healthcare Conference and Expo. That's it. Uh, we'll be there at 12 noon Sundays at City Field. Everyone's invited, of course, and we'll be there at 12 noon, uh, broadcasting for a couple hours on Sunday. Join us for that. Monday is Chevron Day. Don't forget, Monday is Chevron Day. Their big charity campaign happens on Monday, which means we'll dedicate the 8 o'clock hour to our guests from the Holy City of Chevron. Uh, that's coming up uh, this coming Monday, starting at 8 a.m. Uh, people like uh, Simcha Hachbaum, Yishai Fleischer, etc. will join us. From the holy city of Hebron. Looking forward to that. Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami. Sunday, Matis starts JM Sunday at uh, 9, excuse me, at the 7 a.m. Eastern time. Um, so make sure to be tuned in for that. Sunday night, the Atid Society event in Jersey, Livingston, New Jersey, for the Kushner Schools. I'll be there. Looking forward to greeting everybody there that night. Very special Atid Society event with Safam. Um, information, jkha.org slash atid, jkha.org slash atid. Want to wish a mazel tov to Meira Bach and Jerry Adest on the um, wedding celebration last week. We had the honor of participating in Sheva Brochus this week. We wish them the very best. Mazel tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible network to their readers. Yes, our network, which a year ago today went all digital. And thank you to those who've uh, acknowledged the anniversary. We are, in fact, doing about a million times better than anyone ever suspected. And it's a great feeling. And I thank those who pointed out the anniversary starting early this morning. It was December 1st of last year that we became a completely independent, all digital network. And uh, we are very proud of our accomplishments in the first 12 months. So thank you to jewishworldreview.com. If you want to print out thousands of articles about the Jewish world before Shabbos and read them over Shabbos, do that by visiting their website. And a big thank you to onlysimchas.com. Onlysimchas.com continuing to use our content for their stories uh, that not not only make the Simcha news, but make their uh, regular news feed, which includes a whole bunch of interesting things from around the Jewish world, including yesterday when we uh, interviewed Gidon Saar. They included that in their news feed. And I thank them for that. Go to OnlySimplest.com for information. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning broadcast. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. Pretty interesting move, putting the Haftet November uh, ceremony back in the old building in Queens, huh? Well, it was symbolically very significant in the fact that you had 60 ambassadors there and others, including the vice president of the United States, uh, reaffirming commitment to Israel and uh, looking back over the years, the interim years. Uh, I spoke at the uh, at the reception and the uh, uh, and pointed out that for us this was not a celebration; it was a commemoration because we know that. Peace did not emerge because of the resolution, but rather the Arab states rejected it and went to war. And you think of the 20,000-plus Israelis who were killed in the defense of Israel over the years and in all the terrorist attacks, uh, all unnecessary. And, and, and you think of the losses even for the Palestinians, whose economy is still in ruins, who, who never uh, developed 
um, and the the um, uh, other message was that there are still many United Nations who do not accept the right of Israel to exist, who still vote against Israel all the time, who celebrated the Nakba um, quote Nakba celebration uh, commemorations of the of the PA with statements um, at the United Nations on, on uh, yes, yesterday and Wednesday, but. The, you know, you have to look back. You look at the roots. You look at this. This was a milestone in the recreation of the modern state of Israel. And so for a, a generation that has no clue about that history, and especially not about the events that took place in Queens, I thought that it was uh, significant. We also organized 20 delegations so far that have met with the ambassadors of the countries that voted for it and gave them a little stand that commemorated it to remind them of their responsibility, that this is an ongoing responsibility. You cast the right vote. We, we applaud the courage it took to do that. And, you know, the, the Brazilian, I think, foreign minister was in the chair at the time, and he postponed the vote until they were able to get 33 positive votes to make sure it would pass. What would be, looking back historically, the most unusual of those positive votes? In other words, in 2017... You know, someone from this generation would find it, you know, most bizarre that who voted positively to to um, establish a state or to part, make a partition plan that would include a Jewish state. I would say probably Russia, hmm. uh, and uh, and this is under Stalin. Remember, right? Uh, today, looking back, you might say Venezuela. You might say others who, right. who voted for it, but then they were it was a different government, different time. Um, so a lot of the Latin American states really played a critical role in, in casting the votes. I think there were only two um, African countries that voted positive. Right, and and, and you didn't have uh, many of them in the United Nations. Right. The membership of the United Nations was, right. you know, maybe 40% or less than what it is today. And the, the um, you know, the, the coming out of World War II was still the aftermath. Uh, of the Holocaust, one would have thought that you would have had such an overwhelming response, but the fact that they had to squeeze out the last votes uh, was very telltale also. Yeah, boy, oh boy. Um, by the way, and you mentioned the vice president's speech uh, that took place at the commemoration. I, I'm, I've basically had it with the Embassy Jerusalem issue. <laughs> uh, I, I, think, I think it's a bigger folly under this administration than others because of the reality or the or the realistic belief that, in fact, they would really move it or really approve of the move. I assume that when the 4th of December arrives, the waiver will be signed. Uh, I don't make that assumption right now. As you know, the vice president, again, reiterated what he, but things that he has said earlier about the intention. I think that we that we face various options. One is, as you said, that he will just simply waive it again. Two, that uh, he doesn't waive it, and then we have to deal with the ramifications of that decision. Then there's the possibility that he could uh, issue a waiver and say that that we're recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, uh, but we're, we're not not saying to move the embassy, saying that the uh, future boundaries will be determined in negotiations and push the idea that negotiations should take place. Uh, there are, and there, and there are various mutations in between of what, of what could happen. So I certainly don't give up. I think it is the intention to move the embassy. 
Uh, I don't think they should be intimidated by, you know, the threats. When the president went to the Kotel, as I think I said here before, and, you know, put on a yarmulke and dominate after the world declared, you know, UNESCO voted that it's not a Jewish or Christian holy site, that it's a, a Muslim holy site, and all of the statements, and yet he went there, put on the yarmulke, said if that was a bolder move, I think, and because uh, of just doing it and, and standing up for what they believe, you didn't see a single demonstration. There wasn't a single manifestation, and, and it's a question of how you do it, not in this case, I think what you do, and the there's a necessity at some point just to say this is it. We're going to do it. Do it smart, and I think it won't provoke a, a, an unnecessary reaction. The third option that you just mentioned, this recognition of Jerusalem, negotiations will determine, et cetera, et cetera. Is, is there any administration that ever came close to that, or that in fact you know made that declaration? Any U.S. administration that came close to that type of uh, of dealing with the situation in that way? Yes, in 1995, and I, I one of my proudest moments in in all the years because it was legislation we really pushed and and uh, an event that uh, we organized that that when Congress overwhelmingly passed the Jerusalem Bill which mandated that, that United Jerusalem is the law of the land, and President Clinton let it become the law. And then we held an event in the rotunda of the Capitol, the only one since then, not, not one event has been held there. And many senators, many members of Congress came, leaders of, of many faiths, and they gathered there, and, and Prime Minister Rabin told me that if we got this legislation passed, he would come, and I called him the night that it was uh, being voted on, and I said, you made a promise, and he came. And it was it was so moving to hear his remarks about Jerusalem and the uh, overall program. Uh, it was highly emotional, and th- so you have a, a history and and other resolutions. And the, the law is still the law, but it, it built in a waiver for the president, right. which is what he's exercising. That's the basis of the waiver. All right. So I'm leaving this part of our conversation with 33 percent waiver. 33% of what you just described and 33% moving the embassy. Those are the chances between now and the 4th of, of December. I don't know where the other 1% goes, but I guess that'll be the, <laughs> the determining factor, I would guess. But, uh, but, yeah, I think that I think that the, all the options are open. The vice president is pretty strong, and have, they've said all along it's not a question of if or, or but when, and I think that is the, the policy. And maybe if there have been you know, less talk, and they had just done it right away in the beginning, uh, you know, the issue would have been resolved. But but the, the interim step that I mentioned has additional implications. So, for instance, the, the issue of the passports, once oh, the declaration right. is made, right. and, and saying that, the you know, the final borders will be subject to negotiations, um, so passports of Americans born in Jerusalem will say Jerusalem, Israel. Right. Um, were you sitting there? Saying to yourself that the vice president looks very presidential. When I saw uh, the uh, when I saw the video yeah. of the event, it, it struck me. I think for the first time that this man really could be. I mean, I don't know if he could win the win the election, but he'd be he'd be a pretty dignified president. You got to admit, <laughs> he's a very fine person, very committed, very pro-Israel, very uh, close to many Jews. Has uh, committed Jews working for him. Uh, he's. Um, he looks the part, if that's yeah, what you're saying. Exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. Thank you. That's a good assessment. Two more things about the events this week. Number one, 
so explain to me what happened. I understand the commemoration, not the celebration on Wednesday. Now, on, on Tuesday, rather. Yeah, that was Tuesday, right? That was the day before right. the 29th. That was Tuesday. What happens at the UN Wednesday? That That's a Palestinian what? A Palestinian? An annual ritual. Uh, it's Palestine Day, I think they call it or something. There was, and, it looked like there was nobody in the room. Well, there's never anybody in the room. And the, and the fact is why don't the they have their, why don't they much, have... Were, were in most cases milder than what we've had in years past. You had reaffirmations, you know, the Palestinian rights, etc. But, um, you know, th- there is a changing attitude, and people are getting tired of it. And they look at, at what's happening. You saw this week between Fatah and Hamas. But, they, one, th- but I'm one, thing, one thing before we do that, I'm just confused. Why would the room be empty when there are Middle Eastern countries and others, sponsors of terror, etc.? That, that because are, people come in and make a statement and then leave. I mean, the same thing in Congress. You have the same thing uh, going on all the time at the United uh, Nations General Assembly, except when you have an event or there's a particular vote. That, that comes up and you have a full session. This is a commemorative session. This is not right. convening of the General Assembly. Okay, and no one's insulted if no one, if, if those who participate don't sit there the entire morning. That right. Type of thing. All right, and, and, and the other thing is, and I saw this in the Jerusalem Post, I'm sure you did, the UN General Assembly voted overwhelmingly to disavow Israeli ties to Jerusalem. It's funny, you just mentioned Jerusalem as part of this you know, possible compromise position on, on the part of the president. Uh, Israeli ties to Jerusalem as part of six anti-Israel resolutions approved Thursday in New York. The vote was 151 in favor, six against, nine abstentions. The six against, by the way, I always love pointing this out, Canada, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, Nauru, the U.S., and Israel itself. Uh, what, what's going on here? Why are, we, why are we celebrating the Jewish state and essentially its birth at the U.N., and then the next day, you know, passing a resolution like this. It's an annual ritual. I'm not even sure anybody reads anymore. And I had meetings, as I said, this week. We spoke to many of the uh, ambassadors and stuff, and we raised the UNESCO resolution. We raised other things, and they, they look at you in many cases and say, really, that's what it says? And it, it's an automatic vote that the ambassadors don't come. They just uh, send somebody. But, but notice you, you're missing... Countries like Britain right. or Australia, which always vote uh, with Israel or have, and and others who, who said they would not join the ritual, the annual ritual. Oh, Australia abstained, right? But the others were against, right? Right, and that's that's it is a distinction that's important right. that the countries have to know, and we certainly follow up with them about it. But this is, uh, you know, it's one of the anomalies of the United Nations, and more, and and still an indication that. Uh, Israel's not fully accepted. Yeah, no question about that. But the overwhelming number was startling after the big, I know it wasn't a celebration, but after the big commemoration mm-hmm. at the old UN. It's just, you know, it's a it's a startling number when you think about it. Uh, we had Gidon Saar on yesterday. Uh, I asked him a question. I said, is it easier to help the state of Israel in government or outside of government? <laughs> and, you know, I, I, how how did he after having left the government a few years back, stay in the limelight or in the game uh, to this degree that they are considering him, I mean, in the Israeli media, certainly considering him as a favorite to be the next prime minister of Israel. And underscoring it is a poll, which I think has been published or will be, that shows Yeshatid, uh, led by Lapid, and Likud tied, Wow, I think, at 25 seats. But under uh, the leadership of Saar, they would win additional seats. Meaning, meaning Likud would win. 
Likud would gain additional seats wow. uh, under Yisrael Katz. Another candidate showed it would get less, and obviously there's no election now. Bibi is still the, uh, the single person who's most uh, supported as a prime minister, but Gidon Sire is up there, and uh, certainly within the Likud, he seems to be the most uh, popular. And don't forget, while he's out of office, he has been working the um, he can go to all the small communities. He can campaign. I met yesterday with Avi Gabay, the head of the Labor Party, who was very articulate, very presentable. Um, had a we had a very good uh, session with him, uh, and the, the he said that he spends his time every night going into a Likud stronghold. He said, "I go to places where we have Labor gets four percent, six percent, eight percent to present our case." So obviously, they're all. Uh, now trying to build their bases, anticipating elections. Most have said within a year. And yeah, yesterday uh, he said he'll wait till 2019 when it's supposed to be, but that sounded a little tongue in cheek, right? <laughs> well, no, I think you know they they, they were all saying he also wants time to right. build up his franchise. So, so when, when he leaves government and says got to spend more time with family, while others may actually spend more time with family, he was actively visiting cities and campaigning. Well, no, he he, he got uh, married and um, he. I think he did want to spend time, and he, um, you know, often you have to step out of position. I know, but in Israeli politics, how many guys step out and are never heard from again? Nobody writes about them. They have zero impact outside of office. Well, I, when you, but when you're polling high in the internal polls of, of Likud, obviously you're going to get attention. Right. And, you know, he's he's been quietly doing this. He he's, was not in the papers for a long period of time after he stepped out. And... You know, the, the, there are always reasons or other considerations or things perhaps that they he has to work out, or just as he said, he wanted to do. Some of them step out because they, they need to make money. And, uh, you know, being government doesn't actually provide you with much of a, an income. So it's more complicated than just the question of, of getting visibility. Now you see it, right. and you say you feel like he's been in the limelight all this time, and you know people who are close to him, so they talk about it also. It doesn't mean that uh, the media was covering him or, or others. Now, obviously, we're seeing more and more speculation about elections and about what's coming up because of the investigations. Um, so, By the way, do you know if he has similar views to Bibi when it comes to security of Israel and when it comes to negotiations? I think so. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com. On the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Tell me about Bibi's trip to Africa, probably to countries that voted against Jerusalem and Israel yesterday, I would bet. Uh these are people, yeah, most of them traditionally vote, but it's an automatic vote with ambassadors, you know, when we confront them on these votes and stuff. Uh, I wish I could share with you some of the answers that we get. <laughs> we, had no, we had no idea of <laughs> what was taking place, right? <laughs> he, went, he, went to, um, he went to the installation of President Kenyatta in Kenya. Uh, he was in Nairobi. He did not attend the actual swearing-in ceremony because of security reasons, but he did have lunch, and he met with uh, the leaders of Gabon, Uganda, Tanzania, uh, Zimbabwe, um, I think South Sudan, he said, and, and uh, Botswana and Namibia. He, I know he met the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, 
And uh, this is a, another sign of the growing acceptance, uh, but the best indication was that Rwanda, there's an Israeli embassy going to open in Rwanda. Wow. Uh, and the... Um, Mexico, by the way, announced last week that they would no longer vote for these automatic resolutions against Israel or, or would not vote against Israel. Well, turn their tide. Well, they be visited there, if you remember, and the new leadership and everybody comes in with their own, every new president comes in with their own priorities and nice. understands what they stand to gain from their ties to Israel, as do many of the African countries. And, uh, you know, many of them don't take the UN vote seriously. Um, uh, I think that it's something we try to educate them about him, about what the significance is. And frankly, we've got to stop letting them off the hook with the excuses that they you know, usually put forward. Understood. Um, so he goes, and as you said, he attends the ceremony there, and it continues to, um, I mean, there's a point that I, uh, you, know, you and I, in different ways, continue to make. Uh, it continues to show the, the I don't want to say desperate, but the, the need, I won't say desperately, but the need for African nations to turn to Israel, whether it comes, to, whether it's because of technology or water or resources or medical help, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's a, a, a reality that continues to be learned by the leadership of those countries. Is that and I you? think there are, are other considerations, uh, one of them being the common enemy, and that is, people will be surprised, Iran. Right. These countries, um, uh, but generally in Africa today, the, the big issue that they raise with us is the danger posed by Iran. And just look at the developments uh, over the last week where you have Russia signing a deal with Egypt to use their, their bases. Remember, Egypt is an African country. Um, the the South, uh, Sudan made an agreement that, that Russia can build a base, in, a military base in Sudan, which, of course, puts... Egypt in a much more difficult position. Um, the, the Turks are building bases in Somalia. You have Iran trying to undermine regimes and supporting Islamist groups in many places. You have ISIS still active uh, there. So Africa faces real internal and external challenges. What is Russia? What fundamentalism is, is, is prevalent. What does Russia offer in exchange? Uh, money? Is it money or resources or what? Well, for some, I think... Uh, some are flirting with them to send a message to America not to take them for granted. Uh, I would say in the case of Egypt, for instance, in the next days, they may announce that they're going to cut $300 million from the aid we give them and the military aid because, because it of is human rights violations. Because it is deal? Because of the deal with Russia? Because of human rights violations. And this is... It's such a terrible message to the people of Egypt after this vicious attack that took more than 300 lives, and knowing that the country faces on all its borders, on from the Sinai, from Gaza, from uh, the Libyan side, obviously, from the south, from the Sudanese side, threats to its, its existence, as well as the internal threat posed by the Muslim Brotherhood still in ISIL and and in uh, based in Sinai, and. That they are furious about this, obviously, and you know sometimes they'll they'll flirt with Russia to send a message to America that we're not in your pocket, and uh, I hope that the administration will rethink this uh, this move. Uh, it's not because we ignore human rights issues; we think they're very important, but you got to look at the total picture and say what is the most effective way we can talk to them. And and, and these countries, many of them, are making progress on human rights. But, you know, you can't turn a situation around overnight. And when you face the kind of threat that they do internally, 
you know, it's it's uh, I would say very a very difficult uh, situation. Okay, but if if in fact this deal with Russia would not be happening, would the United States be using human rights as a reason to withhold money from Egypt? It has nothing to do with it. Has it not, it's has been in the process has, long before. So, all, so the only thing you're advocating for then is because because of the key relationship that the U.S. has with Egypt, and we see now how much more necessary it is because of this deal with Russia, they should maybe rethink the way they're handling Egypt's violations of human rights. How, how we handle the overall relationship of which this is one component, right. and and we raise human rights issues when we visit every country and any country uh, where there are gross violations. We're not uh, dismissing it. But you, you got to put each thing into context, and you have to say, and, and I, I'll tell you that Egypt is only one example. I, I hear from uh, many of the leaders, um, and, you know, we still engage with people whose, uh, you know, violations are, are quite gross, and we try to encourage them. Look, Egypt played a key role in bringing Fatah and Hamas together to try and uh, work out uh, that uh, some resolution, and uh, we see now that it's stalled, that Hamas um, and, and Fatah people came back without any progress from the last meeting in Cairo, but at the same time, they they are, are denying, Fatah is trying to put in all the thousands of civil servants in Gaza that have been out of work since 2007 when, when Hamas took over, and they've been paying them not to go to work all these years. Now they're telling them to go back, and Fatah, Hamas is saying, Blocking them and saying that there are tens of their thousands of people who are running things that remain, and this is a, a standoff that could undermine uh, uh, the whole deal. Uh, the, you know, these uh, tens of thousands of civil servants, part of the corrupt uh, system that uh, dominates the Palestinian politics and reality. So. You know, each thing is so complicated, each issue. People deal with things in, with such simplicity when, uh, in fact, the, the, both the stakes and the issues are, are of such great significance. Yeah, no question about that. I mean, all the complicated, these, these details really do matter. You can't, you know, people can go into the newspapers, they can make, um, you know, statements, but in most cases it's know-nothings who, who, who just simply, you know, pontificate without thinking about neither the ramifications nor the complications that, uh, and in the meantime, and, and what I think is most disturbing to me of, of, of the events of recent days, is that what happened in the 1920s with Sykes-Picot and the British and the French, you know, divided up the Middle East after the Ottoman Empire's defeat, we're seeing it now. Look what's happening. Russia, Iran, and Turkey are dividing up the Middle East. They're creating spheres of influence. They're enshrining their roles in Syria, for instance. So Russia has bases, air and naval and military bases, uh, naval and, and uh, air bases, uh, uh, Turkey bases, Iran bases. And Iran this week made demands of the Syrian government for its support which includes the right to mine uh, phosphates, including uranium, that they want a 50-year lease on uh, mil- uh, military bases, that they uh, are, are demanding uh, all sorts of things from uh, rights from uh, Iran. The chief of the staff, or the military chief of staff, went to Assad uh, with these, with, um, uh, these bases, uh, these, the, these demands. So, you know, we're seeing new realities being created. 
And that's why you look at the increasing Russian footprint of having the bases in Syria, the bases in Sudan. These are things that they had strived for always throughout history because this was their soft underbelly, Turkey. And now they've neutralized a lot of this. And, and Putin's doing it on a shoestring of money. Why, nothing. why now? Why wasn't it a year ago, two years ago? Like, why are we seeing a deal? They didn't with have the possibility. He couldn't have made a deal with Egypt a year ago? Well, they did make it in the past. Remember, Russia was there and they kicked him out. And now they're being invited back. And in part because of, I think, policies uh, that were pursued in the past and, and their sense, and at least that's what I hear from them, from different Arab leaders, is their, their sense of frustration right now. And there are enough countries willing to make these deals. In other words, we always, we, we always conjecture that plenty of these countries want nothing to do with Russia and or Iran, but there are plenty that do, and there's enough space to go around, so to speak. But they, you can't compare what Russia can offer to what the United States can offer. And that's number one. Number two, many of the Arab countries, for instance, still believe them to be godless communists. I mean, I've heard it. But the, the political necessities or perspectives or trying to create uh, alternative pressure to get uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, to get U.S. policy or European policy uh, changed um, dictate that they they do it, and they they're when you're fighting for your existence, you you reach out for to whoever you can, in order to uh, support you. And if they feel that uh, you remember during during the um, years of the Obama administration, yeah. they felt total alienation Correct. and flirted with anybody I, I, because they and, right. and, and everybody, and, and that includes going strengthening the relationship with Israel, which is uh, stronger with Egypt than, than it has ever been. Well, I was just going to say that there is a certain unreliability from the U.S., which I don't know if the Trump administration has, you know, completely recovered from, has, you know, in, in terms of the way certain countries felt abandoned during the Obama administration. And that, that Well, can... I think it's, it, there isn't a deliberate policy of disengagement, uh, um, at least we didn't think so, but the manifestation of it, in many cases, is being cited as, as a continuation. Some say that, look, you still have Obama people in the government making decisions. You see the, the, the um, turmoil in the State Department and the reports now that Tillerson will be out, and right. Mr. Pompeo, who is a great guy, coming in, um, and Senator Cotton going to, to Pompeo's position at CIA, as head at CIA. Uh, these would be positive changes. I think they, their perspectives are, are somewhat different. Tillerson... Um, uh, the, the, then they walked back some of the reports about Tillerson's removal. I think that they want him to resign. I think he's not going to resign. He'll have to be fired. Uh, but the likelihood, as we said a long time ago, would be that he would be out by, by the end of the year. Um, but he's also stripping the State Department. They're cutting it back, uh, the employees, which I'm sure is a valid thing to do. There, There's a lot of, of, of excess uh, personnel. But at the same time, it's not functioning, and they're not reporting. I met ambassadors who said they hadn't filed reports in many months in critical countries. And the there are now some appointments are finally getting through uh, of people, of new people, to, to take some of the key positions, which have remained vacant this whole year. Review for a second. You, you just described the Russian uh, footprint in terms of uh, Egypt, Sudan, etc., Iran has bases where? Where, where? where is their footprint that you described earlier? Well, they have, today, they dominate Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Yemen. They, they're playing a decisive role, but certainly their transnational highway that goes now from the Mediterranean to Tehran, that they, their militia 
are operative and and uh, in in Iraq dominant even in Syria they have the biggest presence and their long term presence there I think has been enshrined when Israel and has always demanded the removal of the of the Iranians and that they will not tolerate uh, Iran's uh, permanent presence because it is a permanent threat and the and what we're seeing now is that the the base as I said in Syria. In, they don't need bases in Iraq because it's their people who are there and, and just follow the course of Soleimani, and you know. Uh, and they are establishing Hezbollah presences all over the world. There's a global uh, hegemonic drive, uh, both by Turkey and by Iran, uh, and now they're in alliance with Russia in implementing it. Yeah, we sometimes forget what the ultimate goal is of those regimes. I mean, we... <laughs> We certainly can relate to you know the early part of World War II if you examine uh, what some of the leaders dreamt about. And in Iran, that's exactly. I mean, you would you would argue in Russia they're dreaming about the same thing as well, not just Iran, but uh, and maybe even Turkey the way you described it. It's like it's sort of like you know uh, uh, three uh, three governments with with the same ultimate goal. Uh, you know, maybe for some more realistic than others in terms of uh, a complete takeover of the Middle East and then beyond that. And uh, I think their interests will ultimately clash. And uh, that that we be should be more aggressive in in our role. The fact that we're not part of the Astana process, I think, is a, is a big mistake in leaving the vacuum. Um, I'm not saying that we and we are investing. We have military presence in Syria. We we are are doing it. This is a carryover from from the past. But the, you know, it's now one year into the new administration, and I think it, the, what's important in the Middle East is the messages that you send of your engagement, and the president has visited, the president, uh, uh, the vice president is going on a trip now. Um, he'll be in Israel during Hanukkah, uh, and there'll be a lighting at the Kotel, again, another symbolically important uh, demonstration on, the, on their part about the, the uh, holy places, in, in, in contrast to what we've seen at the UN. Wow. Yeah, that is a, that is symbolic and important. Um, you think Israel is going to send a new ambassador to Jordan? You think that relationship will uh, will strengthen? I think the relationship has remained strong, and the king has said to us, all he wants to see is that this guy be put on trial. He said, let in Israel, he then asked that to be returned to Jordan, and it's a very, it's obviously very sensitive uh, for the morale of the Israeli security forces who, who you know, sitting in, in Arab countries or elsewhere. So I, I do believe that. It will be resolved in the interest of everybody to do that, uh, and hopefully sooner rather than later. And by the way, another development when we talk about the breaking of the isolation, that the, the, these dangers, but we should also look at remind about the positives that Netanyahu has been invited December 11th to address the European Union foreign ministers. And I think you can look forward to a, a very interesting and, and tough speech. And China opened the cultural center in Tel Aviv this week, and it was reported that last year they invested, Chinese investments tripled in Israel to $16 billion. This is a, a huge amount of money. And, um, uh, you know, we've seen other measures, 60 members of the European Parliament, uh, um, uh, to writing to Mogherini for Israel, and uh, uh, so there are positive things, too, that we should never lose sight of. On the EU speech, do you think he'll bring up the humanitarian situation in Syria? I think he can, and, and Israel has the most enviable, uh, I think, role 
in dealing with it with the thousands, maybe 4,000 or more Syrians who have been treated for free in Israeli hospitals, many with very, very, very vicious uh, wounds and, and uh, as a result of yeah. conflict or treating but if, of people. But if, the, but if the Europeans would get involved, they might be able to save hundreds of thousands of people, frankly. Well, they could have, and they should have created the safe zones and not have the massive... Uh, population shift and uh, the, to deal with the ethnic, real ethnic cleansing, which is Sunnis out of these countries and may see even more of it as, as Iran builds this transnational link. They are removing anybody who might be opposition, i.e. Sunnis. Um, there is opposition from them, and, and I think that uh, uh, within Syria, and they have successfully moved large populations and replaced them with Shia from Iraq, from uh, Afghanistan, and Iran. Finally, what do you think of President Trump's anti-Muslim video tweets? Uh, look, if you look at the source, it's troubling. Um, uh, but uh, I, I don't know if he actually looks at them before he, he sends it and what the purpose is. It doesn't, I don't think it helps make his case. And I think that uh, in some of them, I haven't seen the actual video, so I don't want to say, but uh, what I've heard about it and, and um, that they are, um, you know, very extreme. And the person who, who runs the site is known as having very extreme political views. Right. And I'm sorry for doing this with only a minute to go, but could you give us an update regarding this week's North Korean uh, missile launch? Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's a continuing series. They are, they are improving all the time their ballistic missile capacity, their nuclear capacity, and uh, the recognition this week by some of, of the fact that, that Iran had observers there, has observers each time there, that, this, that they're increasing cooperation uh, in these areas, and that, that every time North Korea improves it, it means that Iran will be able to improve theirs, and vice versa. Uh, so it's a synergistic relationship between the two countries in the development of these things. The, um, and the fact that you see the missiles uh, being transferred from Iran and being confirmed that, that these are Iranian missiles, that the Houthis are firing at uh, Saudi Arabia, the high-profile one was the one that went over Riyadh and aimed at the airport, but what if, God forbid, one actually hits yeah. within the city? And this is the eighth missile that was, uh, that was uh, fired. And we know that the you know Iran Revolutionary Guard, Hezbollah, are operating with Houthis. They're training them. They're uh, providing weapons uh, 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 to them. So the increased cooperation, military cooperation between North Korea and Iran, is an added uh, dimension that that doesn't get enough um, enough attention. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, uh, thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Have a great Shabbos, everyone. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM for the weekly update. And I want to thank those who've been acknowledging the first anniversary of our all-digital format. Thank you, thank you, thank you. December the 1st of last year, the Malcolm Single Network became an all-digital format with JM in the AM as its flagship program. I'm very proud of it, and we have been flying for the last 12 months, to say the least. Um, and I want to thank everybody out there for their incredible support in every single which way. Friday morning broadcast with candle lighting at 4.09 on this Erev Shabbos. 4.09 is candle lighting time. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayishlach. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairland, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. 
Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayishlach. Parshas Vayishlach, Yaakov returns home after 20 years with his uncle Lavan, and now he encounters the A, first thing in the Parsha, the confrontation with Esav. And as the Pasuk says, Vayayovig Ish Imo. Ad alos hashachar. It's not that Yaakov, as an individual, was mugged over three thousand years ago. That we need to read this in our shul every year, and it's part of the Torah. How does that fit in with the constitution of the Jewish people? And therefore, I tell you every week, there are no Bible stories. There are Bible lessons. And so the Ramban on that verse tells us that it's not simply an occurrence which happened once, but until the end of the long night. The night is the symbol of the Golos, the exile that the Jew is going to be in. And there's going to be, we are assured, a wrestling match throughout the night, throughout the long Golos, whereby Esav and the nations that Esav represents, as Rashi brings later on. <coughs> Halacha, Esav Sone Li Yisrael. There is built into nature what, if you wish, anti-Semitism, and the struggle is going to be both that there are times, miyad ochi, miyad esav, there are times that the Jew is going to be welcomed into the general society, which unfortunately leads too often to assimilation, intermarriage, or the other calamity which is anti-Semitism leading to persecution. And unfortunately, we've experienced both throughout the long exile. But the Torah promises us in Vayishlach, points out the Ramban, Vayizrach lo Hashemesh, that afterwards the sun rose for Yaakov and it not only healed him from his limping, which yielded the mitzvah of the prohibition to eat the Gira the third mitzvah found in the book of Beratius, but it's a portent to the future that ultimately there will be the coming of Moshiach, ultimately the Jewish people are going to prevail. So again, no Bible stories, a very important Bible lesson, and this is not only a portent for the future, but this we need to know in preparation for Kabbalah Torah in the next book of Shmos, Please God. <clears throat> I'd like to focus this morning on chapter 34. No less than 31 psukim the Torah gives us to tell us of the terrible violation 
of Yaakov's daughter Dina by Shechem, the son of Hamor. And this is in the village, if you can call it, of Shechem, which according to the Alshech had 24,000 persons living there. Dina is violated, and we know the specifics of this incident, that Shechem <coughs> wants to marry Dina, and the brothers answer, as the Torah says, Bemirma, and Bemirma is understood not only with guile, but rather with wisdom, says Unculus, and the Ramban explains what's the wisdom that the brother said, okay, the only way we can marry you is by you circumcising yourself and your invite for us to be part of your community. The entire community has to circumcise themselves. The mirma, the wisdom of this response of the brothers to Shechem and Hamor is explained by the Ramban and the Sapurno that no way did the brothers in the wildest imaginations ever expect that the townfold of Shechem would listen to Shechem and Hamor and circumcise themselves. In fact, we finish this week <coughs> the Gemara Makos, the Gemara Makos on Yud Aleph, Amad Aleph, has the expression that one person benefits and the other one is punished, meaning that, in this case here, says the Gemara, Shechem Nasiv, Shechem got the pleasure and wants to marry Dina, and Mavgoi, one of the residents of the town, a representative of the town, Gazir, he should perform circumcision. Now let's remind ourselves how difficult and challenging circumcision is for an adult male. And let's understand that unfortunately, when Christianity first came about, one of the first major changes that they did, aside from changing from Shabbos to Sunday, but what attracted them to many people was circumcision is no longer on your body in a physical way, but it is some kind of circumcising of the heart, which appealed very much to the masses, rather than have to subject their children and their converts to circumcision. So, and moreover, we find that even Avram Avinu hesitated regarding circumcision. Now, what's Avram's hesitation? And the Gra explains this very concisely at the beginning of Pasha's Vayera in his Kol Eliyahu. The Gra says, look here, Avram's job was to reach out and touch as many as he could. And the uh, people respected Avram, because after all, what was he selling? Seven mitzvos b'nei Noach, 
that are all logical, understandable, belief in God, not to murder, not to kill, not to commit adultery. These are things that society can recognize. But now, to become a Jew, one has to wait a minute, circumcise themselves? And Abram was afraid. Maybe it's better for me, come on, not to do this, so I'll be able to, what, get more outsiders to join. And Hashem's response to him was, Anikel Shakai. I am the one that Sha'amar die. I said enough. What does that mean, I said enough? It means that I want, like Lahavdil, the Marines, a few good men. Okay, having said that, that circumcision is so difficult, how could the townspeople of um, Shechem readily agree to this? So, once again, no Bible stories, only Bible lessons. In the Sefer, Hamor Shevetorah, which was written by Harav Shlomo Tzvi Akorin Shapira, one of the Tamidi uh, Chachamim who survived the war by being part of Yeshivas Mir, went to Shanghai and then to Eretz Yisrael, lived in Bnei Brak, and I had the schus of meeting with him on several occasions. He writes in his Sefer, Hamor Torah, and he quotes the Saba Mikelm, who says that this is not a story that happened 3,000 plus years ago. This is a story that the Torah is speaking to everyone. Namely, be on guard, because the Torah is teaching how vulnerable man is. And in order for him to see the koach of chemda and ta'ava, the koach of the lust for women and wealth, and that's exactly what Shechem and Hamor offered the people of the city of Shechem. We will have Jewish women <coughs> we will get Jewish wealth. And the Medrash Seichel Tov understands that Vayishma'u el Chamor, the townspeople listened, Kishihitr lahem ligzol mamono shal Yaakov. We will be able literally to steal, to take, we'll have all the wealth of Yaakov. So man lusts. And the only question is, what is he lusting after? What is he going to get? What is important to him? And therefore, the Torah is showing us how much each person is drawn. And just as we find by Avram Avinu, that Ava, Mikal Keles, Ashura, Avram Avinu had many servants, <laughs> yet to go to the Akedah, he himself saddles and prepares the donkey. Don't say it's beneath my dignity. He wants it so much. So too, these townspeople went and circumcised themselves in order to satisfy their lusts and their passion. And therefore, the Torah is saying, be careful, because each and every one of us is vulnerable. And once we are vulnerable, we become lustful after, and then there's no limitation as to how far we can go from our original principles and our original dedication to that which was near and dear to us. I'm going to share with you 
a horrific story that I heard in Eretz Yisrael. And that is as follows. Approximately a few months ago, there was a break-in to a Beis HaKnesses on Leil Shabbat. And they came in the morning and they saw how it was broken into from the basement. But they searched the entire Beis HaKnesses. Not a shekel was missing from the Tzedakah box. No silver was taken from the Oron Kodesh. Nothing, nothing was touched. It was an enigma to them. What could have happened? Months later, a 17-year-old boy meets with the rabbi of the shul and confesses, I broke into the shul on Leil Shabbat. Why? You're not going to believe this. I couldn't believe it. I broke in because I needed internet. He needed to use his phone on Shabbos. He couldn't do it at home, and therefore he knew because of the offices in the Beis HaKnesses there was internet, and therefore he needed to be at email, he needed to whatever, unfortunately, <coughs> is on that phone of his. So listen carefully. Lo'aleinu, if you were to ask this boy, are you a Shoma Shabbos? He'd say yes. He wouldn't get in a car on Shabbos. He wouldn't cook on... He would not violate Shabbos. But because the phone is such an integral part of his life, and would you ask him, are you permitted to break into any place, being a mazik, especially mamun hekdesh, breaking into a shul? But just look what happened over here. Why? Because of this incredible passion that he as a representative of too many T-O-O of our youth that are so into the telephone that they are no longer knowing who they are what they are and this has become their life and therefore we have to say to ourselves yes it is a major problem. What are we going to do about it? So let's understand that in Koheles, chapter 7, verse 14, easy to remember. You have what Shlomo HaMelech says, Zel That whenever there is a strong Yetzer Hora, whenever there is a strong negativity out there, there is always the opposite side of sanctity, of holiness, which is there, and both are there. And just as it's easy to go to this, we have to make the environment in our homes, in our schools, such that our children, teenagers especially, and young adults, should not be living with their telephone and too much of the negativity that's found on the telephone, but rather, they should realize that Torah gives us that that sweetness. And I'm going to suggest one simple, not a solution, but a start in the right direction. My mother, Oleha Shalom, and we're going back now at least seven years, whereby when I came to Brooklyn to pick her up to come to me for Shabbos, the first thing she would do was take away my phone. This was a simple flip-flop phone that I, as a Rav, would use to communicate with people even when I was driving in the car through Bluetooth. And my mother would take it away. I want to spend time with you and not listening to all what's going on in your community during the hour that we drove in the car together. When your children are in school, Hopefully, they're giving their phones in and not using them during class. 
when dinner time comes in your home, make a rule. No phones at the dinner table, so you have a chance to talk to them. These the siblings could, should talk to each other, as opposed to each one texting and doing whatever they're doing, which is not good for the familial relationship. When you're alone with them in the car, no phone, the opportunity to connect with your children, what's going on in your life, as opposed to too much of the nourishkeit and the wrong thing which is going on with their fingers and removing them from, unfortunately, the true happenings of what's going on in life. And so, what's the story doing here? which was written over 3,000 years ago and happened at that time. Come on, who needs it? We need it. Because who is it talking to? It's talking to each and every one of us. Is it easy to be a Jew? No. Shveret Yid meant one thing so many years ago, and now it means something else. Hatzlacha Rabbah, we can rise to the occasion, Shabbat Shalom. To all.
David Gabe with Tov Lahodos. Erev Shabbos on this Parshas Vayishlach with candlelighting time at 4.09 on this Erev Shabbos in the New York area, welcoming all of you from around the world. Coming up right after JM and the AM, Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Today's encore presentation is uh, Shannon Sarna, author of The Modern Jewish Baker, and Sally Fax of World of Chantilly Bakery. They'll both join uh, Naomi. At 10 o'clock, the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami, JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. And, of course, as you know, tune in 12 noon on Sunday because we'll be at the uh, massive Achiezer event. And I say massive for, for, uh, for good reason. We'll broadcast between noon and 2, but starting at 11 a.m., Achiezer's Jewish Healthcare Conference and Expo is going to be happening at City Field in Queens. Everybody is invited. And with us live via telephone is the man in charge of the uh, Achiezer organization. That's right, Baruch Bear Bender. Rabbi Bender, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachman. Yeah, I got to talk to you about finding me a spot over there. I'm starting to enjoy this, you know? <laughs> well, what happens Friday before the conference? Are a lot of things being, a lot of loose ends being tied up today on this short Friday? Well, uh, to put it perfectly, Milka Kielsen, who really deserves a big shout-out for doing a tremendous amount of work, planning this entire event, she tells me last night, she says, you know what? Thank God that my mother is having me for Shabbos. I said, what does that mean? She said, she said because otherwise my kids are not going to be eating on Shabbos. So, um, she, so she's been in charge of a lot of the logistics, huh? That's exactly right. She, along with uh, Yuti Deitch, uh, they've really been working on the, like you said, massive amount of logistics that really go into such an event. And, yes, today is that day, Nachum. You are hit at the nail on the head where you get to see the nitty-gritty, you know, down to the uh, most minute details that, cannot be overlooked, and today's that day where we, you know, the Shabbos is coming, Baruch Hashem, where we have to just fine-tune it and make sure that nothing falls through the cracks. Uh, and that's what's going to go on today, tomorrow night. Obviously, a lot of volunteers coming to the office as well to prepare do many you, different bags, handouts, so on and so forth, but lots of excitement in the year, definitely, as we get closer. Do you know how many people oh. total, uh, at least approximately, uh, are expected to be there Sunday at City Field? It's looking to be right now, based on the reservations, based on what we have, uh, believe it or not, at least 1,000 people. Wow. Um, maybe more. Obviously, we've never had that many. But, you know, our concern now uh, is, you know, are we going to be able to run out of certain things? I think you know that, you know, our chairman, truly Warman, would not allow such a thing. I it doesn't run out. Right. We've got to make sure all of our guests are served. I called our dear friend Yoli Steinberg, our mutual friend. Uh, of Gourmet Glad, who's graciously sponsoring so much, you know, wonderful food. And I said, Yoli, you know, ramp it up. <laughs> we don't want people to go hungry, but the reservations are coming in. And as recently as last night, a couple reached out, you know, we, after they made their reservation, said just, you know, be advised, thank you for doing this. We're coming in from Cleveland, Ohio. Unbelievable. Uh, oh, yeah. In. And you've mentioned about people from Florida and other places that are flying in. Right. Baruch Bear Bender is with us, the Achiezer Jewish Healthcare Conference and Expo. Over 20 informative lectures, over 60 incredible vendors. Our broadcast is happening Friday, is happening Sunday with Ilunishmas Yaakov Mordechai Ben Avram Lipa Cohen, starting at 12 noon. Free screenings, including hearing, dental, vision, and general health. All this under one roof. We know it is City Field. In Queens, New York, transportation from Williamsburg and Borough Park and Flatbush and Muncie and Lakewood. Register now, achiezer.org slash expo, achiezer.org slash expo. And, of course, there's free parking there at the stadium, and um, everyone is encouraged to be there. What does it say 
uh, about our community. I, I guess it says that our community has a lot of needs and a lot of special uh, specialties that uh, that have to be addressed if over a thousand people are going to be showing up on Sunday. That that's exactly what it is. It really says. Uh, well, I like to add one dimension quickly. I think it says the diversity of the needs that are there. Right. Um, I think people are realizing that they need to understand the resources that are available to them. They simply don't know. And uh, the same way we at Achiezer, I tell you very humbly, we can't know everything. We try every day to find another resource to make sure that when somebody calls us, we have those answers. I think people are realizing, and I'm stressing now, that we as the community need to be aware. And finally, I know I said it previously, but seeing a couple coming from Cleveland, see people coming in from Florida, seeing people coming from Montreal, from Baltimore, from Lakewood, wherever it may be, tells me that people care and they want to do better, uh, and they want to make sure that if there's a resource available for their loved one, for their father, their mother, or their spouse, or their child in the special needs world, they want to know what it is. And if we're going to have an event that presents all that, they're, they're making a very strong statement by saying we want to be there so we can make sure that we have access to all of those resources, which is a uh, which is great because, you know what, if, if, if there's one life, right, that could be saved or one life that could be impacted positively, and obviously there'll be many more, hopefully, from the event, then the entire event will have been worth it. That's really how we feel, uh, and uh, we really are. And, and I just want to add in, I didn't say it previously, but we keep saying that Yaakov Mordechai and Lipa Cohen, Mr. Jack Woolman, who, this, this, who has sponsored this, um, he was a person who lived his life that way. Um, I remember just, you know, grow, I grew up in my parents' house on Hicksler Road, as you know, right, uh, right near right near the Walmans, and this was the way he led his life, making sure that nobody was overlooked, that any resource that was available to somebody in the community that needed it, he went to go find it. And so I think it's very fitting that uh, he and that, that this whole show and all that has been sponsored, you know, Lila Nishmaso. 100%. All right, Baruch Berbender is with us. One other point I want to reiterate. Uh, we've said it a hundred times already, but it's so important. All of the different needs of the community that are trying to be addressed uh, in this conference are all under one roof on Sunday. A special needs dimension, an elder care dimension, and preventative health care dimension with all the screenings, lectures, etc. So everyone should just realize that there are multiple categories, a lot of, you know, across the board, different types of things that will appeal to different people and that will, you know, address concerns, uh, you know, from many different directions in the community. It's all... Under one roof, and that's one of the bro- uh, brilliant yeah, parts. Yeah, and you're of right, and 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 Nachum, it's under one roof, but because of the expansiveness, if you will, of a place like City Field, uh, and I want to thank the OU as well, who gave us uh, the inspiration to do it there after seeing them do a successful program previously. Right. But because you have a facility like this, uh, Nachum, you don't have. We're able to put that much under one roof without anything getting diluted or washed away. Right. There is. So much space and so much organization down to every detail and floor plan, so on and so forth, that will allow, like you said, so much information for so many different kinds of people. So like you were alluding to, there's like there's something for everybody, um, no matter what stage, like you said, whether it's elder care, preventative care, health care, special care. There's something there that caters to every aspect of our Jewish community as it pertains to healthcare. Yeah, the sponsoring organizations and the list of participating uh, organizations and companies uh, certainly speak to that point. A call for information at 516-791-4444. Information at achiezer.org slash expo, achiezer.org slash expo. City Field, 11 until 5 this Sunday. We will see you 
at 12 noon. Ari Bender, get some rest over Shabbos. Looking forward to seeing you Sunday. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to a wonderful Shabbos, and uh, we really can't wait to see you. More coming up 10 minutes before 9 o'clock at JM in the AM. Shame in the AM with Ohad and the Kinderloch. 
Looking forward to the Atid Society event for the Kushner Schools this coming Sunday night. Safam, of course, are going to be in concert starting at uh, 7.30. Information about the event, jkha.org slash Atid, jkha.org slash Atid. Special shout-out to Murray Halpern and to the entire hardworking staff for Sunday. Uh, Briss Avram dinner is Sunday night. Wishing a mazal tov to all the um, honorees. Briss Avram under the leadership of Rabbi Kanelski. That happens on Sunday in New Jersey. 908-289-0770 for last-minute details. Rabbi Dr. Jacob J. Schachter on the contemporary significance of the state of Israel. Reshit Michat Gulatenu. Fall lecture series continues tomorrow night at 8.15 at the Congregation Tamatoro of Flatbush on Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. Information contact Tamatoro Flapush. Emuna dinner is tomorrow night at Chelsea Piers. Mazal Tov to Esther and Paul Lehrer, Michelle Selig, Shira Ben David, and Melanie Ulbaum, all being recognized by Amuna tomorrow night. And the new Springville Jewish Center, their sisterhood hosts Myron Sugarman as guest speaker tomorrow evening, the last Jewish gangster. We'll talk about the mob, the Jews, and Israel. Tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on Saxon Avenue in Staten Island at the new Springville Jewish Center. Journeys, JM and the AM. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Go on home and find the gift that's waiting there for you. Oh, it's time to say good job, because all your work is done. Gonna spend a day together with the Holy One. Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator is a very special sign
time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Our listeners sponsor digital radio around the world on the web and AchimSingle.com on the AchimSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. I again thank those who pointed out the first anniversary of us going all digital. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a great ride so far. Don't forget candle lighting at 4.09. I'm back Monday morning. Amazing programming all weekend. Uh, you know about the Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix. Kedem presents Mark Zamek starting at 10 a.m. this morning with the Erev Shabbos show. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami. Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time, Matis Weingast with JM Sunday. 12 noon Sunday, we broadcast from the Achi Ezra event. 12 noon on Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in. And we're back here Monday morning. On Monday, don't forget, we'll dedicate the 8 o'clock hour to the holy city of Hebron. 8 o'clock hour Monday, the holy city of Hebron. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till next time, Malcolm Segal reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.